CES Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel. Streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Good morning. It is Monday, November 2nd. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott, joined by Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 24-7 Sports. This is the Monday recap episode that we do every single week. Chris, it's going to be a big, fun week of college football uh, on the horizon, but we have a pretty newsworthy and, and noteworthy one to recap from week nine anyway. So I'm going to start you off by asking, what was your lead in college football overtime, the, the great article you do every Saturday night? I mean, you had to start with uh, Ohio State. I know a lot happened, and it felt like Ohio State was just so workmanlike beating Penn State. They were up immediately with that Garrett Wilson 60-yard touchdown kind of on that reverse, and then they just kind of never took their foot off the gas. I think Penn State um, kind of caught up a little late. They always stayed within 10 to 15 points for most of the game, but it was never in danger. Ohio State pretty much got all it wanted offensively against a really good Penn State defense. Do you have some concerns about Ohio State secondary? Probably. Um, I think that probably stands out a little bit. Like you'd like the run game to be a little more effective, but overall, like Penn State just pretty much dominated what is despite two losses in a row, a really good Penn state or Penn state team. And I think coming out of that game, Ohio state continues to be in that top group of three. And I think as we'll get to in a minute with maybe Clemson, I think Ohio state might have the least amount of questions out of anybody in that kind of top tier right now. And if you look at the rest of Ohio state's schedule, they're going to cruise into the big 10 championship game, barring a minor miracle from Michigan, kind of turning things around the schedule's that easy. I think ESPN FPI gives Ohio State an 87% chance or better of winning each of their remaining games. Um, so really, um, I would expect the Buckeyes to walk into Indianapolis and they have the easiest path remaining of any of those kind of top tier contenders for sure. Can you believe how bad, or not bad maybe, but how easy the schedule is for Ohio State? No non-conference games, shortened Big Ten slate. And it's, I never thought we'd see the Big Ten with an easier path to playoff than the ACC. But well, like it, it's, it's it's Rutgers ninety eight percent. I'm quoting FPI. Maryland ninety nine, Indiana ninety three, Illinois ninety eight, Michigan and I'm I'm rounding up. Michigan State ninety nine, Michigan eighty eighty eight. It's just crazy. Well, it's it's pretty nice when the Big Ten essentially hands two of the worst teams in the West Division to them on a platter in Illinois, and I guess depending on how you feel about Nebraska, but they avoided matching Ohio State up with Wisconsin. They avoided Ohio State matching up with Minnesota, who I guess we all thought would be good. And then what would have probably been the most fun and telling early game on the schedule, Ohio State-Oregon, uh, didn't happen either. So, yeah, like it's a 
I don't want to say it's a cakewalk for Ohio State. Indiana could be good. Um, Michigan State and Michigan are confident, as we saw on the first two weeks. But, yeah, it's a very odd time of year when Ohio State has the easiest path of anybody because of the Big Ten. You write about the Heisman watch in overtime. Where do you have Justin Fields after two games in your Heisman watch? I had him third behind um, Mac Jones, who actually passed Trevor Lawrence in my kind of rankings, and then uh, Trevor Lawrence at number two. But um, Justin Fields, after two games, like if he keeps up this level of production, and he's been almost perfect. He's kind of matched T-Law early in the season, who's also been amazing. Like I see uh, Justin kind of hopping up potentially to number one. But I, I, I don't know if we've talked much about this, but if Mac Jones keeps up this level of production, and he does it without Jalen Waddle. Like, I think that guy's got an excellent shot to kind of steal the award from those two guys that we just assumed would end up winning him. Yeah, Bama looks super impressive, and they've answered any defensive questions in the same way that LSU did last season at the end of the year, right? Like, they just uh, gave Mac, Mike. I, well, I th- I know Mississippi State is is not very good, and they've they've got opt outs and dismissals, but they they just handed Mike Leach his first shutout ever. Like, if you told me a month ago when we were watching Alabama's defense get gashed by Ole Miss that Alabama would not give up points to Mississippi State, I wouldn't have believed it. I just think, and I mean, I'm not trying to take away anything from Alabama. Anytime you shut somebody out in the SEC, it's impressive. But we've seen Mississippi State kind of get figured out by Arkansas, Kentucky, Texas A&M in successive weeks. So I don't really know if that's the measuring stick that I would utilize there. I'm much more interested to see how they fare against LSU, which had its own share of problems over the weekend. Oh, like two weeks from now, um, kind of than anything, because I think that game more than anything is going to be telling in terms of Alabama's defense. LSU, yeah, LSU got just crushed by Auburn. It feels like the days of Bo Pelini as the DC are limited, but what are you going to do with a buyout like that? I, his salary's in the twos during a pandemic. Millions, by the way, two millions. Yeah, they paid anyway. We've already been over Bo Pelini before. It's the most ridiculous contract in college football right now. LSU fans are are not happy. Uh, they're a little bit tense, but they do have a bye week to maybe try to figure things out. I wouldn't expect them to. Let's jump to the ACC, Chris. Let's jump to Clemson versus Boston College. Who wasn't watching that? Come back from 18 points with backup quarterback, former five-star DJ Uyangalale. He was awesome, and... He wasn't the question at all. He wasn't the concern at all for the Tigers uh, in coming back from that. And the reason Boston College got out to a lead was because the Clemson defense in the first half was not very good. And then because Travis Etienne fumbled on the one. But that Clemson defense, and they're favored over Notre Dame for this weekend's game, by the way. It opened at five and a half. It dropped down to four. That Clemson defense, if it doesn't get healthy, that's that's potentially Clemson's biggest Achilles heel here. We have, uh, when you look at the injury report, Defensive tackle Tyler Davis, he might not play for another week or so. He's really key to that front seven. James Skalski, the linebacker, he had groin surgery. He's out for a few weeks. He's the leader of the defense. Then you have Mike Jones, linebacker, playing the Isaiah Simmons role. Super important in coverage. And without those guys, and with Darian Kendrick, the cornerback, limping back to full health and really looking shaky against Boston College, like it, it does not matter who Clemson has at quarterback uh, with, with with those injuries, and then you compound that with an offensive line that's struggling and receivers on the outside who are not not separating. And it's it's easy right now at this point in the season to when you look at your big three of your contenders, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, to say that Clemson has the biggest question marks or the the most question marks, which was true last year too, and, and Clemson still found a way to make the national title game. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Like, you watch Clemson closer than most people. You could argue that Clemson's three of probably their most four important defensive players are out right now with injury, right? Like, for yeah, sure. Given- so, Brent Venables wants to play a four man front. That's what he's, that's what yeah. he's always done. Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, Cleveland Farrell, Austin Bryant. Without Tyler Davis, you can't do that. And so you've got Brian Brzee, the true freshman, former five-star, number one overall recruit in the class of 2020. You've got him essentially playing uh, nose tackle. And, and he's not to, a nose. Yeah. Right, no. And and then you do that, and then you're neutralizing your edge rush and can fight other five-star Miles Murphy get going. And, yeah, like that that's important. And then you've got two of your three linebackers down, and you've got to put another freshman in there too. It's going to be interesting to see how they stop Notre Dame. Notre Dame has worse receivers, I would argue, than Boston College. So I, the, the coverage busts that were rampant in Clemson's secondary in the first half of Saturday's game won't be there, but Notre Dame will run the ball. And we've talked about that as a concern we had of Notre Dame a few weeks ago, Chris. Their offense was you know, stuck in the, in the 80s. I feel like they're evolving a little bit, but they're definitely going to lean on Clemson. And if they can run the ball and establish that and, and keep that Clemson defense off the field or on the field, that would bode pretty well for Notre Dame. We're just going to have to see if Ian Book is going to make a few off-schedule plays. Well, there were, especially in the first half against Boston College, I, I would argue uh, Boston College O-line was leaning on Clemson's defensive line a little bit. It wasn't until kind of later in the game when Brett Venable started getting more creative with the pressures he brought, brought a little bit more pressure from the second level, was running a little more twists and stunts than he was early in the game when that um, Boston College run game slowed down a little bit. And Notre Dame, maybe outside of Alabama, and maybe even better than Alabama, has the best offensive line in the country. Um, five I sent junior, senior starters, uh, five really highly ranked recruits, a couple of guys on that offensive line that are going to be first-round picks or at least first- or second-day picks. Like, Notre Dame is going to lean on you a little bit. In a lot of ways, it's kind of the perfect formula to attack Clemson right now because without Tyler Davis and their two starting linebackers, that's where they're the weakest. And if Ian Book makes enough plays, like I think Notre Dame's going to be able to move the ball. And I'm not sure if I would have said that a month ago. So I think I think next week's going to be really fascinating. And also, like I know we didn't got to the offense yet, but DJ Ungolele was good enough. Like he was very oh, yeah. good on Saturday. But like the problem is the interior of that O line. Like we're talking about the opposite side of the ball now doesn't get a lot of push up front. Like Travis Etienne's going to have like most of the stuff they're running is outside zones or having to get Travis Etienne kind of in space on the outside as a receiver to get him the ball. But when they were trying to run inside for the first three quarters on Saturday, they just weren't able to do it. And that's going to be a problem against Notre Dame as well. Like when you can kind of expect your essentially front three for Notre Dame to control the line of scrimmage and you can have your linebackers scrape and they have super athletic linebackers and a safety in Kyle Hamilton, you can come down and cover Travis Etienne one-on-one. Like you really have to wonder how Clemson's going to deal with that on Saturday. Clemson last year in the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State could not run either. And so they had to get creative with how they used ETN. They, as you said, Chris, got him going outside because once he's on the edge, good luck. They got him going in the passing game. It will be interesting, DJ Uyangalele, with all the arm in the world, can he keep doing the little things right? Like we know you can throw it 60 yards. Can you make the feathery little screen pass over a defensive end's hand? right? Like that's, that's the stuff. Can you make the chain moving throws to Amari Rogers or your tight ends? He did that against Boston college. We'll see if he, he can do it again. I, I'm not criticizing DJ at all. He was great, but he no, did yeah. miss a few out routes like early he did. in the game that really and stopped the drives in the first half. The out routes you have to know you, it's not Trevor Lawrence back there. Like that's the hardest throw in football. So, so maybe dial that back a little bit. 
take a few more deep shots if you can find a receiver to get to open down downfield and, and keep just working ETN. You wrote about ETN. He he passed he, he exceeded the ACC career mark for rushing. He's their most important guy probably the rest of the season. So that so Notre Dame Clemson that's a huge game for week 10. The other big one, Georgia Florida and Jacksonville for the SEC East. A few weeks ago we would have said no way Georgia loses this game. Now it looks like this is Florida's opportunity because Stetson Bennett has not gotten any better. And I think most telling, Chris, Georgia fans are no longer interested in telling you that Stetson Bennett is good enough to win the SEC. I think they, they've gotten frustrated on their own. He threw two interceptions in a 14-3 win over Kentucky. The Bulldogs are decimated by injuries on the defensive uh, side of the ball. Multiple defensive linemen are out. I think linebacker Quay Walker got banged up. And then Richard LeCount, the star of safety, was uh, reportedly injured in a motorcycle accident on Saturday after the game. Thankfully, he's okay. He's expected to make a full recovery. It goes without saying the severity of that injury, he probably won't play the rest of the season, definitely won't play Saturday against Florida. So if you're Dan Mullen and you're going to – you're going to do your thing where you have a few foot and mouth comments every few weeks this season. And you dress up as Darth Vader on Halloween after keeping the crowd going after a huge brawl uh, between Missouri and Florida. One of the worst SEC fights we've seen in a, f- in a few years. You better win, man. Like this is, this is your moment. Oh, no doubt. Um, it, like if you just want to go through Georgia's injury report real quick, coming out yeah, of the hit me game, with it. Jordan Davis, uh, defensive tackle, one of the key pieces of the defensive line, uh, injured. Julian Rochester, another piece of that defensive line, plays inside. Um, they they have a lot of depth at defensive tackle, but probably two of their best three rotation players at that position are hurt right now. Quay Walker, hurt right now. DJ Daniel, Lewis Sign, uh, Richard the Count, George Pickens came into the game, uh, uh, banged up a little bit. Uh, their injury report's a lot longer than that if you count guys who've been out multiple weeks already. So they're they're going to be, like, Georgia's going to be tested from a depth perspective, perspective, and few teams have the depth Georgia does because of the way that's recruited, but a lot of it's unproven. And if you're Georgia, you just, I, like, you come out of that Kentucky game, do you feel better or worse about yourself? I would argue you feel worse given the way Stetson Bennett played. Like, Kyle Trask, and like Kyle Trask is playing at a Heisman-worthy level right now. He's not quite as good as the other quarterbacks we've been talking about so far. Um, maybe not even as good as Zach Wilson, but he's he's been excellent so far this year. And if Dan Mullen, as you said, is ever going to catch Georgia with this big talent advantage Georgia has, this would be the season. Georgia's banged up. Georgia has a quarterback that's not particularly effective. And Georgia's kind of momentum is stalled a little bit. And if you're Florida, you have to win this game on Saturday. All on my opinion, all the pressures on the Gators, despite the fact Georgia came into the season with national title hopes. Like Dan Mullen needs this game. I have not seen a spread at the time of recording. Obviously, it'll be out by the time this thing goes live on Monday morning. Um, okay. So Texas beat Oklahoma State 41 to 34 in overtime. According to SP Plus, it was the um, Texas had the worst postgame win expectancy of any winner this season. So, like, Texas should not have won <laughs> against the number six undefeated Cowboys who outgained them almost double, but Texas did because Texas forced four turn- turnovers and returned a kickoff for a touchdown. Quarterback Sam Ellinger was not good until he needed to be. If Sam Ellinger played every fourth quarter, every quarter like it was the fourth quarter, 
this team might be undefeated. However, this is important, and, and not to bludgeon anyone with a Big 12 sledgehammer, if Texas wins out, they're in the Big 12 championship game. Texas' slate, West Virginia, Kansas State, or Kansas, Iowa State, and then the other Kansas school that I'm forgetting. So four games left. They should be favored in all four. We'll see. Tom Herman could save his job, and after a rocky, uh, a, a rocky week on the recruiting trail where you had two 2022 G commits, including five-star quarterback Quinn Ewers, the best QB prospect probably since Trevor Lawrence. I don't know if Texas fans were expecting Tom Tom Herman to be able to save his job. I certainly don't know if they were rooting for him to be able to save his job with Urban Meyer potentially in the mix. But this is this is super interesting down in Big 12 country, and not to mention the fact that with Oklahoma State's loss, this conference is probably not going to make the playoff. Yeah, I think with Oklahoma State losing, I think the Big 12 has essentially eliminated itself from the uh, college football playoff race. Oklahoma State's going to have to run the table, and it already has a worse loss than probably whatever second team tries to come out of the SEC uh, or a essentially nine-win Ohio State. Chris, I think the ACC might be the one that gets two. But we oh, that's a great point, that Notre time. Dame. Yep. No, that's a great point. Like Notre Dame, if they win this weekend, for example, and they lose to Clemson in, what, yep. six weeks? Yeah, yep. they're going to get in. So the Big 12 has kind of played itself out of this mix unless Oklahoma State's absolutely dominant down the stretch and maybe gets another shot at Texas. But um, Texas continues to baffle. Like we talked about this earlier this week after Quinn Ewers decommitted, we were like, it'd be so on brand if Texas went ahead and found a way to win Saturday. And despite the fact that it had no business winning, as you said, um, they had the lowest uh, win rate essentially of anybody this year that's won a game. Uh, They were outgained by like 240 yards. They were two for 14 on third down. Like they had no business doing it. But when you force four turnovers and you don't turn the ball over yourself, you've got a great chance. So speaking of uh, hot seat, I didn't watch it. Michigan lost to Michigan State 27-24. Could you tell me what happened? Yeah, uh, I watched a lot of that game. Michigan State had a game plan essentially where they were going to go at Don Brown. Uh, they were going to attack Michigan's cornerbacks deep. And what happened was since Don Brown plays aggressive man-to-man coverage and, and to clarify, Don, Don, Don Brown's on the sidelines as a DC. Just, yeah, I'm sorry. Don Brown is Michigan's defensive coordinator. Like Googling like linebacker, Don Brown. Don Brown is Michigan's defensive coordinator. He is excellent at his job, but famously stubborn in terms of adjustments. We see that every year in the Ohio state game. And essentially what Mel Tucker did and Michigan state did was they were going to attack uh, Michigan vertically and if they weren't going to hit those passes and uh, they did a lot of the time, Rocky Lombardi did it many times on Saturday and Michigan state's receivers made spectacular catches. But when that didn't work, they were expecting the rest to bail them out because Michigan has Michigan's DBs are very handsy. And what happened was time after time, after time, Michigan state either completed deep passes or they got a pass interference called and they kind of drove down the field like that. Michigan didn't adjust and Michigan State scored enough, and Michigan's offensive line, particularly the interior, was not able to run the ball inside, and you can kind of combine those two things, and a more talented Michigan team got embarrassed uh, against uh, their rival. It it was as simple as that. Like, not any adjustments uh, defensively with how you were guarding kind of the deep passes, and then the offensive line uh, being unable to move people off the ball. And Michigan's stubborn, and they were trying to run the ball inside for the first three quarters. It wasn't working, and that's kind of how it worked, how it went. So everyone's. some people are saying this is Michigan's worst ever loss under Jim Harbaugh. I don't know about that. I do know Michigan State's not very good, so you shouldn't be losing to them. 
I do know Jim Harbaugh's contracts up after 2021. Went in depth on with, on that topic with Steve Lorenz the other the other week. Michigan's schedule here. We spent last Monday's episode talking about how good they could be, Chris. Now this schedule, uh, kind of weird. At Indiana, Wisconsin. Will Wisconsin be able to play that game? Who knows? At Rutgers, which is feisty. Penn State versus Maryland, who is feisty. And then at Ohio State. This could turn south in a hurry for Jim Harbaugh. They could also redeem themselves and, and prove that we don't really know anything after the first or second or even third weeks of the season. So we'll just have to see. But I, I was not expecting leaving Saturday with the storyline of Jim Harbaugh loses to Michigan State and first-year coach Mel Tucker, who arrived on that job on, uh, in East Lansing in February with a very bad roster and a mediocre at-best quarterback in Rocky Lombardi. And Michigan made Rocky Lombardi look like a very good player on Saturday. Uh, I, I, before ahead. we move on, real quick, I would say about Michigan, we – we tend to count Michigan out like after a really bad loss like this. And for two seasons in a row, Michigan's went on a run to at least make themselves relevant by the time the game comes around. So despite the fact that they lost this game, despite the fact that it looks terrible, I am not going to be willing to count Michigan out quite yet. Like we've seen it two years in a row. They lose a really bad game and then they go on a five, six, seven game winning streak to kind of put themselves back into at least contention for the big 10. All right, so I'm going to run through the rest of the top 25 results, and then I want to have a discussion about the college football playoff, and then we're going to get out of here. All right, so uh, we already mentioned Clemson, Boston College, Alabama. We mentioned that. We mentioned Ohio State. Uh, Cincinnati beat Memphis 49 to 10. We're going to come back to that. Texas A&M beat Arkansas 42 to 31. Kellen Mond passed Johnny Manziel as an all-time yardage re- record holder at A&M. Uh, BYU. 41, Western Kentucky 10. Going to come back to that. Virginia upset North Carolina 44-41. to 41. That's UNC's second straight loss, I believe. Hold on, Chris. Was that their second straight loss, or had they played NC State between Florida State? They played NC State between. That was okay. that was no. their rebound uh, that, from the NC State one. Gotcha. So that's, that's their second loss in three games, right? Yeah, second loss in okay. three games. So that's their second loss in three games. West Virginia surprised me. They beat... Kansas State 37 to 10, Indiana uh, 37 to 21 over Rutgers. Good win for them. Coastal Carolina is ranked and very good. 51-0 Georgia State. SMU beat Navy 51-37. Iowa State held on, beat Kansas. Horrible Kansas 52-22. Oklahoma is doing what they do at the end of the season, playing very well. 62 to 28 over Texas Tech, and then Boise State beat Air Force 49 to 30. Even without quarterback Hank Bachmeyer, but you'll recognize the name potentially in Jack Sears, a former USC quarterback who threw for three touchdowns for the Broncos. All right, last question. I want to talk about the group of fives playoff chances, Chris. I I feel like it's coming down to Cincinnati. Although I I would argue that BYU, God, I would love to see that game. Uh, BYU plays Boise State this week. Does Cincinnati have a chance to make the college football playoff? What do you think? It's going to be really tough. Um, It'll, I think a lot of chaos would have to happen. So I would need, I think you would need to have Florida beat Georgia, Florida stumble at another point and guarantee that Alabama is the team that comes out of the SEC. Notre Dame would probably have to lose to Clemson and then lose again uh, before playing Clemson a second time. And then Ohio state would have to kind of pitch a shutout in the big 10. And then Oklahoma state would have to lose a second time in the big 12. I think those kind of scenarios create a window for BYU or Cincinnati to eventually force their way into the discussion, at least. 
And I think Cincinnati is your best shot. Right now, Cincinnati has three rank, three wins over teams that I think are good enough to be ranked in Army, SMU, Memphis. They have two more on the schedule with um, UCF and Tulsa. And Cincinnati does have a really difficult stretch to end of the season. Uh, I'm sorry, I said um, UCF and Tulsa. They play UCF, Temple, and Tulsa back-to-back-to-back weeks all on the road before a potential um, championship game against most likely SMU. So if you run the table there, you finish, I believe that would be 11-0, and and you have five or six quality wins on your schedule, and you look dominant doing so. Like Cincinnati's um, average scoring margin is right up there with the best teams in the country. I think Cincinnati has an outside, outside shot. And also we have to mention the Pac-12 is going to have to have somebody lose. Like the champion can't be any better than um, six and one or five and two or whatever. But like, it's not, it's not out of the question. I just think it's unlikely given the history, but I would, if there was a year it's going to happen, it would be this one. Like UIU and Cincinnati have a chance around the table for sure. Yeah. I think if there's any year to do it, it's now. I also think the big 10 is so weak potentially that if Ohio State runs a table and Wisconsin doesn't play enough games, no question. I think you also need, as you said, the ACC and the SEC to lock up undisputed number one spots uh, for their number one teams, Alabama and Clemson. You know, don't need Notre Dame hanging around with one loss or Georgia with one loss or Florida with one loss. And then I, I, I would look, I'd listen to you if you said Cincinnati or BYU over Oklahoma State. And I think I would just listen to you because it's a crazy year. And I think I, I really I, I really do eventually want to see a group of five school in the playoff. And I think Cincinnati, because they play such good defense, I think they would be more competitive than some of the offensive-minded group of five schools. So we'll see. I see. I kind of wonder. I really do wonder. I think BYU has the best, best chance of being competitive just because Zach Wilson is so good. Like when you have a quarterback of that level, like Desmond Ritter was excellent on Saturday, but Zach Wilson's a potential first-round pick. Like, if a team was going to be competitive in a playoff situation against an Ohio state, it would have to be a team with an elite quarterback. And I think BYU probably is that program. Although I think Cincinnati is probably just a little better overall. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, all right. A lot of interesting storylines this week, this weekend, uh, excited to see what happens in the world of college football. We're already to week 10. It's crazy. And the PAC 12 has not even started yet. So you can look forward to some PAC 12 preview coverage this weekend on the college football daily you can rest assured that we will keep you updated on Clemson versus Notre Dame and Georgia versus Florida and, and all those those other interesting talking points that are going to get us through the month of November. Um, Chris Hummer, thank you for joining us today on The Daily. Uh, Tony Levitt, our producer, appreciate you putting this together. He's going to be mad at me for calling it The Daily because uh, there isn't something else called The Daily. So uh, for the College Football Daily, uh, I'm Trey Scott. We'll talk to you on Tuesday. Set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the sun. 
A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.